Welcome to the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Today we have another very special episode of the Art of Teaching podcast, one that I've been waiting to share with you for a really long time. This episode features the incredible David Allen, who is one of the world's most sought-after speakers and management consultants. He's been described as the father of modern productivity and is one of the American Management Association's top 10 business leaders. His best-selling book, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, or GTD for short, is nothing short of a global phenomenon. Time magazine called Getting Things Done the self-help book of its time. David, his company and his partners are all dedicated to teaching people how to stay relaxed and productive in our fast-paced world. In this episode, we cover such things as the principles of the getting things done approach and how to get things out of your head, how to renegotiate commitments and how to keep track of your intray and prioritize what's important. I believe that this episode is essential listening for all teachers and professionals. Our job is incredibly complex and fast paced. My hope is that this episode will help you to prioritize what's important, meet deadlines and fight the overwhelm. David has always been so generous with his time I hope that you get as much out of it as I do. Please enjoy. Well, uh, David, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat from all the way in the uh, in Amsterdam. Matthew, delighted to be here. Yay. Thank you. Let's uh, get started with a couple of quick questions. What is your coffee order? If I'm out for coffee, yeah, uh, usually a cappuccino or a, 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 you know espresso, uh, something like that. At home, every morning, my wife and I make a um, you know a French press coffee. Lovely, you know, lovely. Uh, out of uh, just stuff we grind. So exactly the same. We, we do the same. We've got a little French uh, French press, like a little stovetop and a French press, and so it's a, it's a lovely way to start the day. Uh, what's an item that is still on your bucket list that you can't wait to do? Still on the bucket list is to see New Zealand, to see Iceland, and to see Finland. And so great. Haven't been to those three, but been to lots of places, and those are three my wife and I would both love to see uh, yeah. for for various reasons. So fantastic. Yeah. And what is the uh, the best piece of advice you have ever received? Uh, let go and let God. Fantastic. And finally, what is your favorite uh, book? A non, maybe a non getting things done approach kind of book. You-, you know, I get favorite books just kind of on some consistent regular basis. Right now I'd have to say, um, uh, the, my favorite book that I've read recently would be The Antidote by Oliver Berkman. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, the subtitle is Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. Uh, a wonderful title. It's a wonderful book. He's a great writer. He's a GTD fan too. And by the way, a lot of it's about the kind of acceptance of current reality. He goes back to the Stoics. Yeah. And it's like if you're trying to do na na nu nu, yay yay, everything's fine, and everything's not fine, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not the way to engage with the game. Kind of the way out is through. So you have to. So a whole lot of it is about acceptance of what your current reality is, because yeah. you can't resist it. Yeah. What you resist, you're stuck with. So. 
moving through it, getting the driver's seat. That's a lot of what GTD is about. That's a lot of what my methodology is about. That's why a lot of people resist it because they're going to have to face their own commitments wow, and what they've, what they've engaged with. Yeah, and I'm sure we can unpack some of those things as uh, as we move on. It's fascinating, and sure. I'll make sure to put a uh, a link to your favorite books and resources and things in our show notes. So hopefully, some of the listeners. Yeah, and by the way, a favorite book, not yet, but my wife's favorite book. Yeah. That she says, David, you must read. You must read. You must read. And she's, you know, is humankind, uh, a Dutch writer who's written a hopeful history. He's written a very, very uh, rigorously researched thing that basically says human beings are ultimately fine and wow. kind wow. and not as ugly and terrible as a lot of our news and a lot of our things would have us to believe. Thank and you. so, uh, you know, just seeing things from new perspectives. So I'm probably guessing this will be a favorite book so, as soon as I have time, to, but I'm still trying to learn Dutch and we're still trying to move into a new apartment. So I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Matthew, but all my girlfriends in all of my life, and I had, I've had many, they all love big, thick books. I, I never understood how they could sit and just go through a big, thick book. Yeah. I, I have very few very thick books that I've been through, but anyway. Especially one in Dutch, uh, it seems. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not in Dutch. That's in English. Oh, but, he's a Dutch, he, yeah, he, he, but he's a Dutchman uh, and, you know, probably has a global perspective like the Dutch do generally. Okay. Wow. You know, which is nice. Fantastic. Well, uh, David, so you've been described by uh, Fast Company as a personal productivity guru, one of America's top five executive coaches. Uh, how would you describe yourself? And do you think you're close? How do you think your close family and friends would describe yourself? I think they'd say, you know, David's a guy who kind of practices what he preached. Yeah. He's relaxed and spontaneous and a lot of fun, a nice guy. And, uh, you know, he walks around with a pretty clear head most of the time. Fantastic. It sounds like so, uh, you, you take your own medicine. I, you know, in the States, they came up with the, the phrase, eat your own dog food, because the guy who ran Purina or whatever that country was, he actually, or that company was, he actually ate the dog food they made. And he said, wow. I eat my own dog food. Wow. And that it's fine. So, so I, yes, I do. I mean, come on, I've been, that's how I came up with all this stuff was for myself personally. Yeah. And it, it never stops. I mean, my whole, um, sort of my whole focus and mission is to be clear and to be present with whatever I'm doing. So I'm not distracted or held hostage by things that I haven't managed or gotten in control of or yeah. appropriately focused with. Yeah. So I just figured out the algorithm, the methodology about how to do that, but I, that doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, how good can you get at parenting? How good can you get at teaching Matthew, by the yeah. way? Right. Yeah. How good can you get at cooking spaghetti? How good can you get at speaking Italian? How, there's no, how good can you get at playing the flute? Yeah. There's yeah. no end to that. Like there's no end to how well you can manage the flow of, of work and commitments in your life. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm still in it. I still have an end basket, just stuff I threw into my own end basket right now, but I still need to make some decisions about, you know, Catherine just threw a book into my end basket that she wants me to read a chapter about like, okay. Yeah. But I haven't decided what I'm going to do about that yet, but I've got to, not decided yet, but will soon place. Yeah. And I've had that for 35 years. So yeah. Fantastic. And David, you, um, you, you seem to maybe like someone that was quite unlikely to go into corporate management and training from your early years. My understanding is that in high school, you wanted to be an actor and also you spent a fair bit of time in Switzerland in 1963 and 64. What were some of those times like? And if we'd have, Gone back to then and said, at some point, David, you're going to be co training corporate America. What would uh, 
what would you have thought? I'd have been, hey, come on, all the way through. I was more interested. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. As a kid, I was an actor in, in, the, in the, the city that I grew up in, in Louisiana, in the U.S. I, you know, was in summer theater and some and, and community theaters as the kid actor. I did a lot of those roles and I loved that. I loved that experience of acting. So I thought, well, maybe be an actor. Of course, my mom was going, David, you can't just go be an actor. You got to get a job. You got to get an education, you, can, yep. you know, all that stuff that parents always tell us, you know, <laughs> make sure your life is secure. But, you know, yes. so, um, so then, yeah, I got that. So I had the, the, the privilege of being chosen as an exchange student for a full year wow. uh, while I was in high school. So I lived with a Swiss family uh, for a year. And, you know, I went to school, I went to the school that their kids went to. It wasn't an academic program, it was more social, called live with, live with the Swiss family, go to the school their kids go to, and so, so forth. Of course, they, it happened to be, it happened to be the Real Gymnasium Judicaberg, which is one of the top university prep schools in the in Europe. Not only that, it was two blocks from the Kunsthaus in Zurich, where I walked down and sit in the room of Monet's Water Lilies, and I was two blocks from the Cafe Odeon, where Dadaism was started, and where Jung and and you know all kinds of people hung out and read the newspaper and drank coffee and whatever else they drank, and and you know a whole lot of the the intellectual sort of uh, DNA of modern Europe started right around there. So I was suddenly thrust into a world, you know, I grew up in a you know, relatively provincial place in the Southern US. And so that certainly broadened my horizons a ton. I thought I might want to be a lawyer or whatever. What do you, you know, when you grew up in the fifties and early sixties in Freeport, Louisiana, then there are not a lot of options. If you make good grades, you either become a teacher or a lawyer or a yep. doctor. And was this you know, the first that's, time that that's kind of that's kind of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And sorry to interrupt. Was this the first time that you'd been out of Louisiana, uh, going over to Switzerland, or did it really? No, I, I I'd been. I had a I had a sister who lived in Connecticut with a very hip guy who was one of the one of the top beat generation writers, John Claude Holmes. So I actually, at a fairly young age, my dad died when I was young, and my mom then took me up to visit my sister. She was a good bit older than me, and. Uh, I got a window into a much hipper world than I'd grown up in. And of course, when I was an actor as a kid, there were all kinds of people that had come from other places because it was semi-professional and there were people that came from New York and I was able to sort of expand my horizons a good bit, you know, even before I went to Switzerland. But Switzerland made a big difference just to see the world from a whole different angle and especially from a place like Zurich, you know, which is quite understated but quite sophisticated you know, in terms of the, its its culture and, and the DNA and the history there. Yeah. So I got fascinated by that. So when I came back, I said, okay, liberal arts was probably the education I should get into because I, I loved art and I loved thinking about that and so forth. So I thought, so I went to college, thought I was going to be a philosophy major, got bored by the philosophers because they just kept proving their original hypothesis using their original hypothesis. I said, well, that's kind of a yeah. circle. But uh, what was more interesting was the philosophers themselves and why they thought that way. And I had a great advisor who taught me. He was a hist my history professor, and he was an intellectual history, history of thought. Not so much military or political history, but more what's the culture, what's the thinking like, and so forth. And tur he turned me on to the whole idea of cultural paradigms. That a culture like the Greek culture, that there were paradigms and there were, they were uh, sort of context that thread through art, music, politics, science, yeah. um, you know, all of that, that there was something inherent in the DNA. I, I'd call it now a signature of a culture. Come on, you know, Australia's got a signature. 
Absolutely. You know, as Absolutely. the UK does. I mean, you know, every country, every even every city, every, every has its kind of own d- DNA. That that thing. If 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 you kind of speak that way, think that way, you're probably from there. Yeah. You know, in terms of how is, they do that. Is, is that where you? So, were, sorry, sorry. Please continue. So anyway, so I, the longer story than you need to hear. No, but, so I was fascinated by the idea of paradigms, and then got into graduate school in American intellectual history, Berkeley '68, and discovered that I, at some point I said, you know, instead of studying people who are enlightened, I want my own. So of course that was heady time to be in California and Berkeley in '68 and '69. And so I dropped out of graduate school to go find myself and find God, truth, and the universe, and did a lot of personal growth exploration. Got a black belt in karate, explored the martial arts, explored meditation, spiritual practices, all kinds of things. Yeah. So that was so. Then, if you'd told me then that I was going to be in <laughs> considered a guru in the corporate training and coaching world, I go, "Who? What are you smoking? Oh my God! You know, are you yeah. kidding? You know, not exactly what." that was not exactly a strategic path I thought I would take. It seems, um, I, I've heard the saying, and I'm, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but uh, looking forward, it's really hard to uh, um, to have a plan, but looking back, it's quite easy to connect the dots. And it seems like quite similar. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Looking just back, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. To a large degree, it was just pay the rent. Yeah. Because you know, I was in my own self-exploration, but they don't pay people to do that. Yes. So I had to, had to pay the rent and make a little bit of a living anyway. So that's where all my... If you read Wikipedia, I had 35 jobs by the time I was 35. You know, they, they weren't careers, it were just jobs. I drove a cab, I cooked hamburgers on Telegraph Avenue, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a vitamin distributorship, I ran a gas station. Yeah. You know. But all those were just because I had friends in, in the world out there that, that did that, and I was just kind of helping them out doing what I was doing so that I could pay the rent. Then yeah. I discovered, hey, you know, I like to go in and see what I could do to improve the situation. I'm the laziest guy you ever met. So I just looked into it. Now they call that process improvement. I just called it lazy. Well, now we can call that efficient. Well, it, it sounds that, that, <laughs> like that, there was no such thing as a, a as a consultant or a, a or a an advisor back in the 60s. It was just, like you said, you option. Oh, I, I couldn't even spell it. What is that? I mean, especially yeah. growing up in the south of Louisiana, I mean, yeah. consultant, what's that? You know? And it's so interesting. Hearing, even. Yeah, it's so interesting hearing that part of your story. I mean, um, when I first read your book, uh, Getting Things Done, a, a number of years ago now, probably, probably twenty, maybe fifteen years ago now, when I was at university, um, and it's just so structured. And so I had this image of you that you'd always had this very clear path from, kind of from uh, high school to graduate school to corporate America, and, and it's so lovely to hear to hear part of your story. It wasn't always the case. It's uh, really interesting. Um, David, could you tell me um, sort of the, the significance of um, Oswald Spengler and the role that, um, or the influence that he maybe had on your life? Well, he wrote The, the, the Decline of the West, which was the yeah. first book my history professor gave me to read. He said, read this. And it was fascinating because he laid out in a very Germanic way, yeah. you know, here's the, here's the, overview the geist the you know whatever whatever and he he identified that that they were like i think nine either seven or nine i forget significant cultural paradigms wow there was the greek paradigms there was the arab paradigm there was the russian paradigm and the oriental paradigm and whatever and he was the first guy that that because it was called the decline of the west he compared western civilization with the decline of the rome because when you looked at rome's dna 
when it started to decline, there were a lot of parallels that he drew to the Western culture. It was fascinating to me. And he didn't even use the word paradigm, and we didn't even use the word paradigms back then, but it was all about what's the signature of the culture. See, the Greeks never had a zero. I didn't know nobody had in, nobody had the infinity idea until the Western civilization and the Gothic cathedral, which was up to infinity. There was no, and so the Arabs didn't have that at all. They had the globe. They, and so he took all that. I, I was fascinated by that. I thought, wow, how cool is that? That yeah. something invisible is, is affecting how we perceive, how we perform, how we even see the world. Yeah. And so that sort of opened my eyes to the idea that there were models out there. Isn't that interesting? That, yeah. Sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you off. There's a bit of a delay. No, no, no. Please do. But uh, believe me, I could I could rant for for days. If oh, you it, me. it's fascinating. <laughs> but I think if we sort of if we look at your um your work on getting getting things done approach and and also looking at the uh, the six horizons, it does seem to be about putting a structure and compartmentalizing aspects of aspects of your life and or even setting a paradigm around certain components of your life and it's really yeah. fascinating to hear that story especially as you uh, moved up through graduate school and at berkeley and how you began to see kind of different models of viewing things is that is that sort of on the right track it is probably a lot of my driver were a couple of vectors inside of me one was people have said i've always been organized as i know i've always been lazy what i hated to do was overdo anything and I hated to have to go look to find something if I could put it in a place where I could find it all the time. Yeah. As, as, as long as I could remember, I'd kind of been that way. Makes sense. Kind of like, yay. So that was just the, you know, I'd hate to have to rethink anything. And then I also just, you know, as I began to understand myself, I'm quite a freedom guy. Uh, I don't like to be held hostage. Yeah. I guess by, do that to you in the 60s. By any of that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that sort of fit in there. As a, yeah. but, but it was, I was always there. So yeah. I was always ready to sort of take the next leap off the end of the pier, not knowing how deep the water was or how shallow it was at the end, but hoping it was okay. So every once in a while, I would take kind of a big risk to say, wait a minute, I seem to be too constrained with what I'm doing right now. There's some, there's some bigger game out there for me. Yeah. So I, it's kind of following my nose, following my intuition, following my higher self, whatever you want to call it, that said, hmm, there's something more out there and I want to go find it, want to explore it and yeah. see what it's all about. Fantastic. It, it's it's so, in, honestly, David, it's so interesting just to hear that that story and that context between uh, behind how you got to the, the GTD approach and how it's something which seems to be a, <laughs> well, a natural outworking to, of what you've been doing. And, and to your point, Matthew, people when people meet me, or actually any of the people on my staff or that work with me, they go, God, you're not, you're nothing like what we thought you'd be. I thought I was going to be buttoned down and tight assed and anal retentive and, you know, and totally structured. I'm, you know, I'm such a follow my intuitive hunches. Don't fence me in spontaneous kind of guy. That's how I came up with GTD was it allowed me to do that in yeah. spades a yeah. whole lot more than when I didn't do those kind of things. It's kind of like the line in the center of the road. People say, Oh, I hate organization. I say, well, what do you think about the line in the center of the road? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a constraint. Yeah. It's a limitation. Yeah. But it allows you to think about other stuff while you're driving instead of somebody kid hitting you. <laughs> right? So, so you need as much structure as you need to be able to get back to the freedom. That's the yeah. cool place to be. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it makes perfect sense. The fact that you can be so spontaneous and can follow you into intuition and your hunches is because you have. Well, come on. Let's take, let's take, let's take somebody in your, let's see, second grade. What, what age would they be? Seven, eight, 
Uh, there'd be Six. seven or eight, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have packs? Yes. Do they I, have to? Do they have to take stuff home from the teacher that their that parents need to sign? Yeah, notes, everything. Uh, and, and and if they don't if they don't get that out of their pack or lose it somewhere along the line, what happens? Mom doesn't see it. She doesn't sign it. The teacher gets pissed. Oh my god! And then, so you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, if the kid wants to be clear and a lot freer, they better. At, the, at least by the end of the week, empty their pack. Yeah. <laughs> Obama. Oh yeah, you need this. And mom needs her in basket that they, he can put it in her in basket, so she does what she needs to do, yeah. and then she gets it back to him. He puts it in the pack that says "Take back to teacher," you know, and whatever. Yeah. So, this is not. It, it's it is only rocket science if you're on a rocket or building one. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, uh, David, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And um, you were quoted by a journalist called Ben uh, Hammersley. And he said, and I quote, for me, <laughs> as with the hundreds of thousands around the world who press the book into their friends' hands with fire in their eyes, Alan's ideas are nothing short of life changing. So you've talked a little bit about what some of the ideas are, but they, they seem so simple. Is that why the ideas are so powerful? What, what do you think people are so drawn to? They're powerful because they work yeah. and they produce the result, but only if you actually apply them. Yeah. You're not born knowing how to cook spaghetti. Yeah. You're not born knowing how to read. Yeah. You're not even born knowing how to speak English. Right. So there are a whole lot of behavior. There are a whole lot of things we need to learn how to do. And most people have never really learned how to uh, define the work they need to do. Yeah. And so that's what I did was figure that out. So how do I define the work that needs to be done? And you, the way you do that is you take, you don't have to go very far. You just start with what's got your attention. Yeah. Why are things on your mind? And so, you know, I got early on again, early, I would say early on back in my twenties, I got, I got sort of, um, introduced to, attracted to, and implemented uh, a version of clear space in your head, especially in the martial arts. Yeah. You know, if you're four people are jumping in a dark alley, you don't want 2,000 unprocessed emails somehow hanging around your psyche. You need to be totally clear and yeah. present. Yeah. That's the mind like water image that I steal from, you know, Bruce Lee's sensei, the idea that your mind, that you, you're clear. Yeah. You know, and that clarity gives you total flexibility and total power. But without that clarity, without the ability to be present, you can't touch your tuck your kids into bed at night with total love. Yeah. You can't cook spaghetti and be totally into spaghetti. You can't do anything if you're not totally present. The only way you can be what keeps you from being totally present are the distractions that you've now created in your life. So I just discovered that and discovered, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be able to get rid of all those distractions without actually having to go get a rice bowl and cave and move to Tibet? Or without having to just give up everything, yeah. you know. No, you yeah. can you can still be buried with tons of stuff to do in your life and have actually nothing on your mind and be totally present. But that's not free. Yeah, you don't get there by mindfulness. Yeah, you know, you know, a lot of the meditation and mind that's good stuff. Yeah, focus on your breathing; it'll get you more present. Learning how to train your mind to to be when you go off from just being present to focus on your breathing. Why did you go off? Yeah, good question. Why did you go off? But I'm too lazy to then discipline my mind to kind of refocus itself. Why don't you just handle what keeps your mind from going off? Yeah. <laughs> so, so then you just sit there and relax, have nothing on your mind. 
that it's much easier to meditate, much easier to cook spaghetti, much easier to teach. Absolutely. And, and David, just explain the process. So when you're uh, with a group of people, explain what you mean by doing a, a mind sweep or a brain dump. And why is that such a significant yeah. part of, of, of the process that you Oh, Well, everybody watching or listening to this, Matthew, at some point has, has been felt a little bit confused or overwhelmed and made a list and felt better. That's true. Yeah. Right. Well, if you reverse engineered, how come you felt better? The world didn't change. Yeah. What changed? How you were engaged with your world changed significantly because you externalized it. You got it out of that crappy office called your brain. Your brain is a crappy office. It, would, it did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things. Yeah. That's now new cognitive science validated data. It's not good at holding. Your brain evolved to do very cool stuff. It's doing it right now. You're going, wow, that's a computer, that's a light, that's a screen, that's a whatever. Your brain is taking long-term history and pattern recognition and making sense out of your world in the present tense. But you go to this, you go to the store for lemons, come back with six things and no lemons. Oh my God, what happened? You were trying to use your brain to remind, remember, and it just doesn't do that. It wasn't designed to do that. Yeah. So the whole idea of, of externalizing all the stuff that actually has your attention. See, there are a lot of strategic things, anybody listening to this right now, that they're not, they don't have on their mind. Why? Their blood is pumping, they're breathing. You know, the, 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 the vice president has been, has been hired and he's in the right place in the right time. That's on cruise control. Uh, wow, my wife and I decided we're not gonna get a divorce, we're just gonna go to some counseling and that's been scheduled and we're cool. <laughs> you know, you, you'd name it. Now, what are all these things that we think we need to do to change, fix, uh, enhance, whatever our life yeah. and it's, it's not about finishing them it's about appropriately engaging with that commitment yeah. and appropriate engagement doesn't mean that when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning that that you, oh god we need cat food or the cat may scratch my eyes out you know but you wake up and go okay let me stick that on a post-it and you go put a post-it on the fridge so whoever goes to the store gets cat food yeah. that's appropriate engagement yeah but that can take on not only all those mundane levels like that, but some pretty sophisticated ones as well. Should we adopt? Should we get divorced? Yeah. What are you capturing about that? What are you deciding about that? So, you know, back to your question, I mean, a very simple 20 second version of what this methodology is, is, is identifying or capturing the, anything that's got your attention. Little, big, personal, professional, doesn't matter. Even the little stuff takes as much real estate in your cognitive brain as the big stuff. So get it all out yeah. and then clarify, what is that? Yep. What does that mean? What do I need to do about that? That's the clarification step. So you capture first, then you clarify what those things mean and what you're going to do about it, if anything. Step three is you organize reminders of the things you can't finish in the moment. Yep. Where's the list of errands I need to run? Where's the list of stuff I need to talk to my life partner about? Where's the list of stuff I need to bring up at the next staff meeting? So organizing the next actions that you can't finish in the moment, next action may be bring this up at the staff meeting. It may be talk to my life partner about this. It could be run this errand it could be surf this web it could be you know who knows so whatever those are if you can't finish them the moment you think of them then you should finish the ones you can finish in two minutes or less yeah but anything longer than that you probably should park somewhere so you have this inventory of all the things you've got as internal commitments in terms of you captured them you clarified them and now you've got an organization of all the options of stuff to do in terms of how do you focus your attention and then step four and five are reflect and engage how do i look at all those options in some appropriate way so that i feel comfortable that talking to david right now or me talking to matthew right now is exactly what we need to do given all the other stuff we could be doing how many things are you not doing right now talking to me how many things am i not doing right now yeah, talking to exactly. you 
Yeah. Right. We just need to feel comfortable what all that is. But if you don't know what all that is, you can't be fully present with me. Yeah. And don't, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't make that up. That's just the truth. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, David. It seems, um, it seems really self-explanatory and, and I don't know about you, but look, my life at times can seem pretty overwhelming. I've got uh, commitments I have to do. I've got things coming in electronically. I've got physical things happening, uh, physical uh, items that I need to resolve. And my understanding is that you actually have an in-tray on your desk. Is that correct? I know you mentioned it before we started. And is that literally where you put things? You've got a book in there. I think you mentioned from your wife. You've got a few bits and pieces. So you physically put items in that tray, and then is that just a way for you to capture everything and then decide what? That's you one. Want? That's one, and an important one. The mail comes in. I don't want to open the mail. By the way, a lot of it comes in in Dutch. I'm trying to learn Dutch. So believe me, that's going in my in tray. I'm not opening it up and trying to translate it right now. Yeah, yeah. I got other things to do, but it's not lost. Yeah. So that thing is sitting in there, just like your post. Come on, you have a post box somewhere, right? Yeah. I know there's not quite as much paper-based stuff showing up but it's still showing up, Yeah, you know, and junk mail doesn't come. This is junk mail, throw it away. <laughs> yeah. You actually have to collect it, you have yeah. to capture it. Then you, at some point you need to make a decision about what exactly it is. But that's all those, so obviously you're huge in baskets for most people, the digital ones now. So yeah. email is, is an entry just like anything else. And a lot of people I know that are GTD, my methodology fans, you know, they're just so, they're so geeky. They just, they just email themselves notes about stuff. So it shows up in their own email in basket as a note from themselves. Yeah. But for the most part, most of my capture is all low tech. You know, this is on my desk, pen and paper. Yeah. God knows what's going to happen while I'm even talking to you. What I don't want to do is have a thought more than once while I'm talking to you. But if it right. shows up, hey, that could be cool. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Hey, back to you now. Because I now got a placeholder for yeah. that. And obviously, as you probably know over my years, I've got a little note taker wallet. So no matter where I go, it goes with me because God knows where ideas and commitments and things I might want to do or decide about show up. I've started doing that, uh, David, as a result of reading your books. I, I carry a little uh, notepad in my pocket. Um, and whenever something comes in from a, either from a staff member or a friend or an appointment, it, it's just a way for me of capturing everything. And then I can decide what on earth am I going to do with this? What's the next right. step? But, that's, but those are two very different steps. Right. There's the capture step. It's like taking notes in a meeting. Yeah. But you don't know exactly what you need to do with all those notes, but you're taking notes because you might need to decide or do something about all those notes, either yeah. as reference or something that then you need to do or somebody else needs to do. You need to keep track of, but you can't decide that while you're in the meeting. Otherwise, you're not present in the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to be getting the input and then throwing that input, throw the meeting notes in your entry. And then at some point when the world quiets down a little bit, you go through those notes, you go, oh, yeah, that reminds me I need to. Oh, and Bob said he was going to, therefore, let me put that on a waiting for list. Yeah. Or, oh, you know, th this reminds me of a whole new project I think we need to do about reorganizing our team. Yeah. And yeah. so those are the, those, that kind of thinking never shows up and you don't want it to have to show up to capture. That's why a lot of people screw it up because they think that writing stuff down means it already needs to be thought through and organized. Mm, not right. true. Yeah. Right. The thinking process needs to be applied later. Or you could do it right then. If you get a note, you know exactly what the next step is. You can go ahead and, or, and decide that and organize that into an appropriate list. I do that many times. But you, don't, you, but you need the freedom to not have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and David, look, I'm fascinated with sort of your process on, on how to say yes to commitments. And would you mind maybe spending a couple of moments just having a chat about the six horizons of focus and how... 
um, how you make sure what you're committing to actually aligns with some of those different horizons. Well, I couldn't get any simpler than this, Matthew. I tried, but I couldn't get any simpler than identifying. And I didn't make all this methodology up. I just identified what the best practices were and, and then, you know, was able to sort of formulate them all together in an, as, as an intact, systematic way to think about your life. Yeah. But I didn't make it up. And there's six horizons people are either conscious of or not, but they're there. The top one is why. The big why. Why do you exist? You know, why you're on the planet, Matthew? And what really, really, really matters to you? Yeah. You know, you don't care what kind of job you have as long as what. You don't care who you live with as long as what. You don't yeah. care where you live as long as what. And those would be at the top level of commitments that you've got, which are your standards, as well as your basic purpose and basic, you know, raison d'etre, your reason for being. Yeah. And this is true for an enterprise as well as a person. So that's the top level. But even knowing what that is wouldn't help you decide necessarily a lot about which email to write first. It might a little bit. Yeah. But then you need to bring it a little bit down to say, okay, well, if you were fulfilling your purpose wildly successfully, where would you be five years from now? What would your lifestyle and career look like? Yeah. You know, and that's the vision side. And that's where you get more into the what would what would I or us look like in the real world out here? you know, in terms of some commitment about that. Everybody had some vision that got them where they are. You might have had conflicting visions that got you in some place you didn't want to be, but that's because you had two conflicting visions. Yeah. <laughs> you wound up in the middle of those. Yeah. Went, Wait a minute. I wanted that. I wanted that. I got something in between and that's neither of those. Oh, damn. Yeah. But yeah. you're still the one who created that. So the vision aspect is, is still highly important. Yeah. So, and then, then you have all the stuff you need to do to make your vision happen over the, your goals or objectives for the next year or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you I know, wonder so, how many you people know. just don't think about this. I wonder how many people are just kind of plodding through life and actually don't think about what are what do I want out of this very short time that we get to be on this earth? Or what are the things that, what do I stand for? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not telling people they need to do that. Yeah. I'm just saying that's going to happen. I mean, yeah. that's going to be there. How conscious you want to be of it's up to you. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a proselytizer. I'm just yeah. saying, if you want to be clear, you probably better identify the things that are pulling or pushing on you. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have any attention on why you're on the planet? Most people don't because their, to their day to day is out of control. So their attention is on the, the toilet that broke, you know, not where they want to be five years from now. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't finish the, the broken toilet, it's kind of hard to think about five years from now where you want to be or spend your attention on that. You know, so. Anyway, that comes down to the ground level. But anyway, so we've got we've got purpose, we've got vision, we've got objectives. Then you have all the stuff you need to maintain: your health and vitality, your finances, your relationships, your fun factors. Your you know, come on, yeah. and that's all the that horizon two, which we call. Yeah. So we got horizon five, horizon four, horizon three, horizon two, and then you have all the projects you have to do about all those things. I got to get tires in the car. I got to get make sure my kids are okay with their education. They're being virtual now on their computers. I need to make sure that I've hired the vice president in the right way. I need to make sure that my technology is like set up so that I can do the kind of virtual broadcasting. I want to be, you know, come on. And most people have 30 to a hundred projects, stuff that's going to take more than one step to finish. They can finish with the next few weeks or months. Gotcha. And then they have all the stuff they need to do about all those open loops. Here's the emails you need to send about all that. Here's the, here's the, the, the appointment you need to make with the doctor. Here's the stuff you need to buy on the web. Here's the stuff you need to talk to your partner about. Most people got 150 to 200 of those. Yeah. yeah. And don't shoot the messenger. I didn't make this up. People get mad at me for their list. I'm going, I'm sorry. That ain't my list. 
guys. That's yeah. yours. That's yeah. yours. All I'm doing is getting you to be conscious and accept what are the things that you have attention on and how would you appropriately engage with them. But if you don't know what the next step is, yeah. you know, on something you have your attention on, you're not appropriately engaged with, yeah. with that yet. So the first thing you got to do is just get the inventory of all those. So if you're saying back to your question about, well, how would you make choices about all this? And do you need to be conscious about all this? I say, no, if your life is fine and you got nothing on your mind and you're just floating through it, hey, don't bother with it. Hey, that's where I am. You know, welcome to it. Yeah. You know, great, great place to be. But as soon as something's got your attention, you can't finish the moment. It's going to start taking up cognitive real estate. Yeah. It's not going to be available to do intuitive, creative thinking. Yeah. So, so what do you think then, David, that some of those and next, those very sort of granular decisions, the next action decisions, why are they so challenging for people to make those decisions and to actually figure out what is the next thing I need to do to move this? Forward? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, I, well, I, I do know one answer to it. You might not like it. You, and anybody listening to this might not like it. That's okay. Uh, the reason people don't do it is they're addicted to their ambient anxiety. Wow. They're willing to tolerate the feeling of not having that handled. Wow. Yeah. I guess it's challenging. Like it's, it's telling whenever you ask someone how they're going and their first answer is always busy or overworked or stressed. It's sort of like we're addicted to that. Well, not just that, but you're addicted to your feeling about how much you should be harder working than you are, that you're not working on the right stuff or that you haven't made good decisions about the stuff that really matters to you. Those are the things that really will gnaw at you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should I get divorced? Should we adopt? Yeah. Have you decided what you need to do about that next? Yeah. Get clarity about it. Put that to bed. Yeah. And that's the stuff people resist like the plague. Believe me, I've spent thousands of hours, quite literally. You know, maybe you read Malcolm Gladwell. He said 10,000 hours. I have spent, you know, 10 times that literally in real time with some of the most sophisticated, brightest people on the planet. First of all, taking one to six hours for them just to empty the stuff out of their head that's got their attention and then, you know, at, at least a day or two, if not three or four, to have them go through each one of those and decide, wait a minute, what is that? What am I committed to finish about that? What's the next step on that? And then creating an organization system that they can trust to be able to see how to do that. I've never seen anybody who had already done it. So David, just I've never seen it. I, I, maybe they are. Maybe yeah. somebody figured this out before me, but nobody ever had. But once people do that, that's why Ben Hammersley said transformational. But just to go back to one of your points, I mean, I, I find it hard to just let this slip past. You said one to six hours just to do a mind sweep or get everything out of their head. Like, I want that's for mid to senior level professionals, by the way. Yeah, I wonder how Depends many people kind of, are holding in their heads. Well, it must be hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds at least. Gosh. You know, it's amazing because most people, you can only remember one at a time. Yeah. So you don't know how many are lying in there you start to uncork it yeah absolutely gosh david well like you said that's why um ben described your work as as truly transformative and it seems like now more than ever there's a need to get a very clear system and structure around uh, and have a process a trusted process to be able to, sure. be able to handle the handle of the inputs that are coming coming in and uh, dave look i, I want to be uh, respectful of your time um i understand you i'm fine got an open afternoon so you can yeah talk as long fantastic. As you want. Uh, so david just a, a couple of last questions um what do you think some of the mistakes that people make when using productivity technology are what are some of the traps that people get caught into whether it be analog systems or digital systems or 
what are some well, of the, the biggest trap is people think the technology is going to handle it yeah it's a great point yeah it seems they to be because they're not what all they're doing most people's organization and this has been true even before the digital world was just rearranging incomplete piles of unclear stuff <laughs> that's right yeah yeah sorry yeah. that just that's the truth and a lot of people oh here's the new 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 that's going to fix it and all they do is rearrange incomplete list of unclear things into a new list system yeah yeah and and it's like then they don't trust it it's not real uh it creates as much stress looking at it as it does relieving it and so they go back to keeping stuff in their head anyway and then they have some stuff out of their head and some stuff in their head so they don't trust either one <laughs> yeah so comes like well. having a system and a process and if you trust the system you trust the process there's no need to and god bless most people they never knew there was an answer yeah and i hate to be that egotistical or just frankly just realistic i came up with the answer yeah how do you how do you handle that and you can't you can't beat this with a stick yeah it took me 25 years to figure out what i'd figured out and nobody else had done it and that you couldn't beat it with a stick yeah my stuff went viral inside of the most challenging you know organizations and 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 context you could imagine that would have spit you out in two seconds if it couldn't stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the biggest brightest richest people on the planet and it went viral inside of that environment yeah. i said hmm, they can't punch a hole in it <laughs> i don't think anybody else is going to be able to either yeah so you can you can people that criticize the system because they look at the book or they glance through it and they go oh this is too structured i go is this too structured to capture stuff scott to get your attention get it out of your head is it too structured to decide what you're going to do about it? Is it too structured to park a reminder of that somewhere that you trust you'll see at the right time or the right person will? Is it too structured to make sure you review your commitments so you're making good trusted choices about what you do? How too structured is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost seems, I think the magic is, is in the simplicity of the process. I mean, it is so... I think the once again, in hindsight, looking back at the kind of the process you've come on to get here, it's fascinating to see um, all of these things. They, uh, they they're looking at different types of paradigms, the the uh, understanding of of management and structures and so on and so forth, and to be able to distill all of that into its elements in the GTD approach is is really quite fascinating. I think its beauty in many ways is in the simplicity of the process. It just makes sense. Well, and it's almost too simple, you yeah. know. It, you know, interesting, and there's so many great analogies. One of my favorite analogies is the kitchen. Most people cook, most people eat, most people have some sort of cooking area in their life, right? Yeah. So I go, well, wait a minute. Have you ever walked into your cooking area, Jane, and it was out of control? It was like, oh my God, the, a, turcane, a tur hurricane had hit it. You know, or you, it, you'd left a mess the night before and you forgot that and you went off to work or so you came back and said, oh yeah, but I've got, I need to cook a great dinner for my family or I've got friends coming over. Oh my God. Say no, you wind up in a place that's really got your attention. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, the first of all, you notice what's got your attention about your kitchen area out of control. What's what's not on cruise control here? That's what you're noticing first. That's why you're going, oh my God, this is not where it should be, the way it should be. Yeah. You know what I'm doing, right? So what's the first thing you do? You notice what's yeah. off. That's capture, yeah. right? Or identify what's not on cruise control. Then what do you do? You decide what that thing is that's not on cruise control. Oh, that's a dirty dish. Yeah. Oh, that's a spice. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's good food. Oh, that's crappy food. Right. And then what did you do? Well, in other words, you clarified yeah. the nature of what these things were that had your attention. Absolutely. Then what'd you do? What'd you do with the dirty food? Eat garbage. <laughs> what'd you do with the dirty dirty dish dishwasher? What'd yeah. you do with the good food? Back in the fridge. 
Yeah. Spice. Oh, back where spices go. Yeah. Step three, you organized, yeah. right? Based upon what those things meant to you, you yeah. then put them where those things go, right? Then what'd you do? You, re you step back, you looked at the situation, you looked at your watch, you reflected, right? So that you were now current in space and time, given all the stuff that was going on. I need to cook dinner by this time, or I need friends coming over by this time. And now you reflected on all that. Then what'd you do? You went to the fridge and pulled out butter and started to melt it. You engaged. Yeah. So I didn't make this up. Yeah. You're doing this all the time. Anytime you're in a situation that's not on cruise control, meaning it's, it's got your attention in some way, there's some capturing, clarifying, organizing, reflecting that has to be done for you to get that off your mind and to appropriately engage with it. So it actually gets done. Yeah. So, so again, and by the way, if you know, there's college boys that as long as they can just find the salt, they don't care how much crap is around the kitchen yeah. right? or their beer. Yeah. Like that's fine. And if you're a French chef where me some plus everything before the bell rings for dinner had better be in its place, every single pot pan, every single piece of food ever, whatever, cause it's going to get crazy. Yeah. And when the bell rings and it starts to get crazy, I want nothing out of place in yeah. terms of what we need to do. And so, you know, and you have the whole range of people's comfort zone about what's got their attention in a situation, you know, but I think that's one of the best analogies I can think. And, you know, one of the things I say is you only, you're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess. But if you're in a mess, you can't make one. Believe me, the French chefs would go, I need the freedom to make a mess because I'm going to, I'm going to get creative. I'm going to get some, 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 some customers out there going to ask me, Oh, what a cool idea. Bring this here. Bring this here. So, you know, yeah. I'm going to make a mess. Amazing. Your kids, by the way, have the most freedom when they have the freedom to make a mess. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Right. But, but they can make a mess as long as they've got a sufficient structure yeah. to take their crayons and put them into it yeah. or uh, some place to be able to put that. So I, you could, uh, you're better, much better than me because you, you deal with kids that age. I don't, you know, very frequently. So, but you could come up with your own analogies, I'm sure, about what that's like. Look, David, I so think that's why when I, that, moment, that's yeah. why when I'm not doing anything else, Matthew, or anybody listening to this, I'm cleaning up. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a surprise coming toward me. I can't see. And when that hits the backlog of stuff, i.e. the mess that I've got, at least cognitively still sitting around emails. I haven't processed stuff in my in basket. I haven't dealt with or whatever. When I get new stuff coming in, I don't have the freedom to be as creative and spontaneous about that because I still got all that old business spiraling around, spinning around, you know, like a monkey in my brain. That that's why I discovered years ago, uh, people need to do a lot, whole lot more cleaning up than creating. You need both. You need to clean up and, and complete stuff so that you have the freedom to create. Absolutely. But, you know, in our culture, most people have over-created and not over-completed or, or cleaned up. Yeah. That's, look at all the mess in the ocean. Look at all the mess in our planet right now. Yeah. People have just over-created and not cleaned up. Yeah. So down at a micro level for us personally, I think the same thing is true. Yeah. I mean, uh, once again, David, looking back at your, your journey, it, it, it makes perfect sense looking back, seeing how you've come from 
um, uh, a, uh, a background in Berkeley and, and, and the liberal arts and then moving into management consulting and, and, and working with individuals and corporations because it all seems to be falling on a particular trajectory and it's really wonderful to see. And I think the thing I really love about your structure is, um, is actually the heart behind the structure and the heart behind the structure is actually just to be able to have that creativity and that expression and that ability to, to in my case, to go and, and tuck your kids in at night and not think about the 50 things you're supposed to do or spend time with your wife and, and just talk about your day and not be constantly trying to process the inputs. And, and I just wanted to honestly, David, really thank you um, for your work. And it has had such a huge impact on my life. And um, for me, um, I, I know that my, my free time with my loved ones in, in many cases is a result of, of, of following those steps that you've, that they put into place with the GTD method. And, and I just wanted to thank you and have this opportunity to uh, just to express my gratitude for your work. And um, yeah, thank you for, uh, uh, thank you for helping me be present and so many millions of other people and do the things that are really important. Um, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matthew. And thanks for, for validating that. And by the way, I didn't do it. You did. Yeah, I defined the game, but you're the one who decided to play the game and kept with it and then yeah. experienced the results. But yeah, I, I've been graced by God or whoever out there that I was given the opportunity agonizingly, by the way, I, I paid my dues uh, to <laughs> finally at, a, at about age 35. I, I just turned 75. So I've been around the game for a long time, but it took me half of my life to actually figure out what this thing was or just start to realize, wow, here is a way I could do what is close to my heart which is to do stuff that does nothing more than help people. Yeah. There's nothing that hurts about anything I came up with. And everybody who implements, you don't have to do the whole thing, just do any part of what we just talked about. Capture a few more things out of your head, decide the next action on something a little sooner than you might. Yeah. You know, have some sort of a reflective, you know, process. Some once a week, sit back and kind of look at your whole game. Come on, yeah. does nothing but improve everybody's condition about their experiences, their, their relationships, their intersections with life and their intersections with all that. So, yes, yeah, so I've been quite blessed with that. So thank you, you know, running across people like you who actually do this <laughs> and apply it, you know, it keeps me going. Yeah. So thanks. And, thanks to you. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. And just uh, two uh, more questions um, and I'll let you go. Uh, what currently has your attention and focus? Like you said, you mentioned your uh, in your 75th year. Uh, what are you currently uh, looking at and looking forward to? Uh, immigrating to the Netherlands. Yeah. We love the U.S. where it came from, but we love the Netherlands even more. So we intend to do that, for which learning Dutch enough to pass the test to be able to do that is a huge project. So okay. that, that's, that, that's got a lot of our attention. And we just bought an apartment in Amsterdam. Fantastic. And uh, we've been renting for seven years since we've been here. So that's and we're going to kind of create the jewel box for our latter years because yeah. we love this place and the environment you know as a place to do that and so that's those are both big projects that's just for us personally you know professionally you know we're now represented in 90 countries around the world with certified trainers and coaches that we've certain that we've certified this is not mail order certification this is real stuff where the people that we've certified are actually actually get what this methodology, this GTD process is. And so helping support them, especially some of them that are just starting up their their licenses and their and their distribution channels, you know, around the world. And that's got a lot of my attention. Just do that. Keep the brand alive and well. Yeah. You know, I'm still doing, you know, two or three interviews or podcasts a week, like with you. Yeah. If that's I've done that for I, I've done over 
2,000 of these already since the book was published in 2001. Gosh. So I, I, and I, I don't know, I keep going, I don't know, maybe we've reached everybody who's ever going to want this and then I'll have to find something else to do. But no, they, everybody keeps, come on, we've only sold 2 million copies of getting things done and there are 7 billion people on the planet. So there are a lot of folks out there that still probably could use knowing about this. I'm not trying to convince people that don't want it. I'm trying to find the people who would absolutely love it if they knew it was there. Yeah. So that's been a lot of our challenge is to, is to how do we, yeah. uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, we said, okay, we're, we're willing to commit to try to scale this yeah. if we can. Yeah. And so trying to figure that out. And that was a, that was a large, you know, that was a big piece of gum to chew to yeah. try to figure that out, how to make that work so we could keep quality control, keep all the legal issues correct and, and, and manage all of that around the world. And we have such a fabulous network now. Yeah. So supporting them and being able to be available for that. I'm also doing writing and, you know, I just, yeah. I just wrote the preface to the new French edition of my book, you know, which was fascinating because wow. they asked me to do that. So, so I'm still doing creative writing, still thinking about this. I still come up with ahas about yeah. even this stuff. And I've been doing it for 40 years. You know, like, and wow. fantastic. And, and, and David, if, um, if people wanted to find more about out more about you or follow your GTD journey, where could they uh, where could they get in touch with you? Well, if you just go to gettingthingsdone.com, you know that that will give you a sort of a broad view of what we're doing. For the most part, I'm not doing a whole. I'm you know a few keynotes here and there, and and you know a little bit of coaching here and there and consulting. But for the most part, our partners are all doing that. So yeah. if you go to our website, you'll see you'll see an overview of the five phases I just mentioned. And you'll also see if you go under training and coaching where, wherever you are on the planet, uh, you'll, and you know, type in your country, you'll see our certified trainers and coaches that would serve you. If you're interested in a deeper dive in all of this in terms of either one-on-one -on -one virtual coaching or even now virtual, you know, seminars, public seminars that are done around this material to take a deeper dive into it. Yeah. And obviously, if you get my book, Getting Things Done, the, especially the new edition of it, that's available in 28 languages now, I think, somewhere. So oh. you can probably find, you know, probably find it somewhere. So any and all of that are ways to play. Find somebody who's got this already and, and share yeah. it with them yeah. and get yeah. their, get how they're doing it. You know? Look, um, uh, David, thank you so much. And like I said, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, I am uh, so honored that, that you would take the interview. I could only imagine... Um, uh, the things that are coming into your intray and the fact that you actually said yes to this interview, I'm incredibly grateful. And um, and your work, I, I truly mean this, has had a huge impact in my life. And and thank you, thank you so much for that. And I, I look well, forward to hearing Matthew, you. I have to tell you and everybody else, you know, that my wife and I have a, a mission that we create a world where there are no, where all problems are perceived as projects. Fantastic. So anything you and anybody around you can do to help spread the word so that people start to get in the driver's seat of their life instead of feel victim or reactive about their life. Yeah. Then, Hey, yeah, it's all good stuff. Fantastic. What a, what a wonderful place to finish. Thank you so much, David. I, I look forward to uh, hearing and seeing all the wonderful work that you're doing. I really appreciate you taking the time. All the best to you and God bless you for dealing with the kids. They're the future of the planet. So yay. Thanks David. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions today. 
For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com and please remember to subscribe for future episodes. If you could also let me know your thoughts of our discussions, please rate and review the episode on iTunes and share the resource with anyone that you think would find it useful. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you.